You know, so we've been in this series on a heart of thanksgiving, talking about that what we give from our heart is then, of course, what we receive in return. The first message in the series, we talked, if you, if you give love, you can receive love. If you give joy, you can receive joy. But also, if you give, uh, I mean, all kinds of things, you could go and kind of, if you give a contentious spirit, you may get that back. If you give yelling, you may get yelling. So be careful what you give. You know, toddlers, they're not exactly known for their sharing skills. Anybody had that experience? We've got one. Is Lucas, is a four-year-old still considered a toddler? Where's that, where does that stop? I don't know. He's not best known for his sharing skills. You know, the better known for their two favorite words, no and mine. Anybody hear those words in your household? Wives, you hear that from your husbands? Well, some psychologists at the University of British Columbia, uh, British Columbia, they decided to put these toddlers' pint-sized generosity to the test. And so what they did is they ran an experiment where toddlers received a pile of snacks, and they were given the opportunity to share those snacks with a puppet who liked sharing, who enjoyed snacks. And what was fun to watch in this experiment is that these toddlers were joyful in sharing their snacks with this puppet. In fact, they were more joyful sharing it than when they were given those snacks. So now another study by researchers at Harvard, UBC, and Simon Fraser University, they wanted to try this theory out on adults. Participants were given $5 or $20, and they were asked to spend it by the end of the day. Half the group was said, you've got to spend it on yourself. Half the group said, you've got to spend it on somebody else. And guess who was happier at the end of the experiment? The ones who gave it away, of course. We know this principle. And so several more studies confirm that people who give of their time and money, that they evict or exhibit less stress, depression, and hopelessness, and more longevity and physical health. Studies show this. So in short, generous people look and feel better. And as much as we like to think we're satisfied spending all of our money on ourselves, it's really not true. Because the more you give, the more happiness you receive. It's actually a scientific fact. They've tested it. And not only that, of course, we know it's a biblical principle. I'm so surprised to find out that science can prove what we've known for thousands of years in the Bible, right? Isn't it fun when they do studies on stuff we know to be true? We just need to live it out. So as we're finishing our series on the heart of Thanksgiving, here's what we're going to examine. The last, the last one is the blessings of generous giving. And some of the obvious blessings can be proved by science. We see that. Less stress, less hopelessness, more longevity and physical health. That's one of the things we've seen. But some of the blessings we find listed in Scripture, and those are the ones we want to examine in the passages we'll look at this morning. And as we look at these passages, here's what we're going to find. That God can multiply your resources and blessings. That's it. It's very simple, but it's a very powerful truth when you live it out. And so we're going to begin in Luke chapter 9 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Why would I hope you have a Bible? Because if you have a Bible, hopefully you're reading that Bible more than just Sunday morning. If the only time you open your Bible is on Sunday, we're in trouble. So Luke chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 10 through 17. 10 through 17. I'm also going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning, simply out of reverence for the fact that God gave us his word. I love that the example we have as you look at the synagogue services, you know, we, they did not have scrolls, they did not have Bibles in their homes. So their only chance to hear scripture was on the Sabbath. 
And so for them, when Scripture came out of that scroll closet, they were dancing and cheering and excited that God's Word was among them. We've lost a bit of that joy in God's Word, so may we retain it. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to the heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Amen. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. What a wonderful passage. What an interesting thing to think about. But I want to dive into this passage for the first two points to help us understand how resources multiply. And so the first point is this, that God can multiply your resources and blessings as you give with an obedient heart. Because here's what we find in this passage, that resources have to be blessed before they can multiply. This is an important principle. Before this miracle occurred, Jesus has to bless the fish and the loaves. We see that's the first thing that happens. So think about this. What if the disciples would have given out the bread and the fish without Jesus blessing it? Never would have multiplied. It was the blessing of Jesus that gave it the potential to multiply. We need to think about it that way. And the Bible lays out how our resources, how our finances are blessed. We talked about this last week, if you were here for that message. It's by giving the first 10% to the house of God. We break the curse over our resources by giving the tithe. The tithe is referred to as obedient giving. It's obedient because God tells us what to do in the Bible, and simply out of obedience we can do that. Offerings, on the other hand, this is faith giving. We give in faith knowing God owns it all. So as we obediently give the tithe, God blesses our resources. This is what we found last week in our verses in Malachi. I want to reread them to remind you of that. Malachi writes, Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, How have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So this is a scripture passage we have that tells us how we obediently give, how the Lord blesses our resources. So that's the first thing. God has to bless our resources. We see it in our passage in Luke. Jesus blesses the loaves, blesses the resources, and then they multiply. You know, there are many people who give a little here, they give a little there, And they never see their resources multiply because their resources have not been blessed by Jesus. When we give the first 10% to him, the rest is blessed and the rest multiplies. That's the principle. 
This is how a person becomes a New Testament three-level giver. Tithes, offerings, and extravagant offerings. They give the tithe, the curse is broken, their resources are blessed, and they multiply, enabling them to give offerings and extravagant offerings. That's the simple nature of giving in the, new, in the kingdom of God. You know, yet many people in the church never have had this experience. And I know one of the reasons why. I shared it as amidst our time of worship. One of the reasons people don't experience this is because they don't really trust God. And for honest with ourselves, people don't tithe because they don't want to give control of their resources over to God. It's a trust issue. But, you know, that's part of the problem. People think those resources belong to them. You know, we're all born with selfish hearts. We talked about that as a part of this series. Two-year-old hearts that say, mine, 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 right? We hear that in our household sometimes. Now that our kids are getting a little bit older, not quite as much. We've tried to do some teaching there. Because they would say, mine, and we would say, God's, mine, God's, because it all belongs to God. But now what happened yesterday, I told Shelly, it's crazy I'm going to uh, preach on this topic, and Lucas throws that back in my face. So yesterday, Shelly's putting some things up in the boys' room. It's nap time for Lucas. So I tell him, hey, let's go to, <clears throat> go to our bed. You can go take your nap in our bed. So he's running because um, he's a man. He likes to compete, so he's going to beat me to the bed. So he gets there first, and I said, you can't sleep in my bed. And he said, it's not your bed. It's God's. <laughs> That's what you get. Be careful, parents, what you teach. And he went so far as to say, and how, do you, how am I supposed to know that? He said, you can ask him. Ask God. It's his. So apparently my, my bed belongs to God. And it does. But I'm glad that my four-year-old gets this. I also think this is why some people live in fear and anxiety. Because they're trying to control things. Think, and parents, I tell you, one of the, the best lessons I've learned in being a parent is how I operate with my Heavenly Father. Because you see that in your kids. And you want to tell your kids, give up control. We got this covered. How much does God want to do that in our lives? God has things in his control. He's got things covered. You know, lots of Christians, as I shared, we've seen are living in fear. But yet in the message that I shared about heal our land, here's what I related. We serve a God who is always everywhere. He is bigger and stronger and mightier than anything in this world. Nothing can stop the power of God. No one and nothing has more power than the king of kings. Why don't we live in that truth? Jesus tells us, followers, repeatedly, do not fear. And yet we have churches full of Christians living in fear. We're about to move into the Christmas season where we celebrate what Isaiah wrote about thousands of years ago. I love this passage. Look at this promise. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore." Why don't we hold on to that promise? Jesus has things under control. Stop living in fear. If you surrendered your life to Jesus, there's victory and freedom in that. Live in that. Christians are bearing burdens they were never meant to bear. They're managing, might I even say, controlling their resources instead of allowing God to manage their resources. They don't tithe. 
So their resources aren't blessed, which means bills multiply instead of resources, causing them to live in anxiety and fear. This is part of what we've seen. No wonder some Christians are living anxious lives. Don't live like that. Give control of your life over to God. There's so much joy and freedom in doing that. And the way that you can do this is you go home. We saw this last week. So I shared a message last week on resources. We had people come back before Shelly and I could even get to the newcomer's lunch. And they said, here's the full tithe. And there was a freedom that you could tell where they said, it's all on God now. That's how it is to give according to the New Testament. You no longer control your resources. God is now in charge. He's your CPA, and he can manage your resources far better than you can. Now, my charge would be make an honest living. Pay your taxes. Jesus talks about that too. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Realize that everything belongs to God. Give obediently. Watch the Lord bless your resources and live in the freedom to know God has things under control. This is what it is to live in biblical stewardship. God can multiply your resources, enabling you to live in freedom as you give with an obedient heart. And the second point is this from this passage. God can multiply your resources and blessings as you give your resources away. What would have happened if the disciples would have simply eaten the fish and the loaves after Jesus blessed it? It would have never multiplied. You know, there are many people in the church who experience this. They give of their tithe, their resources are blessed, but they don't give it away to see it multiplied. Their resources have the potential to multiply. They're blessed, but then they don't give offerings or extravagant offerings, what we talked about last week. Resources have to be given away before they can multiply. This is where the three levels of giving comes from that we talked about last week. As you're granted resources, giving them away releases the potential for them to multiply. The miracle of multiplication of loaves and fishes did not happen in the hands of Jesus. It happened in the hands of the disciples. Jesus blessed the fish and the loaves. He broke it, gave it to the disciples, and the disciples set it out before the people. The bread multiplied in the hands of the disciples. God wants to do the miraculous through your resources, but you need him to bless them first, and then you have to give them away for him to do what he wants to do in the area of multiplication. I was talking through this topic with our Ignite uh, Connect class at Meeks on Sunday nights, and sharing this principle, and one of the members of our Connect class, Lacey, she talked about and gave an example of how she saw this lived out. I've asked Lacey if she'd be willing to come and share that testimony with you guys. I just thought it was a neat, personal example beyond the New Testament of how we've seen that happen even in today's age. Thanks, Lacey, for coming to share. I got to spend two months in El Salvador um, doing missions work as an intern, and during that time, I saw many, many, many miracles. Um, but one of the awesome ones that's the testimony of Luke 9. We went to a village where there was nothing. There was no running water or electricity. Um, these people had nothing at all. And there was the church planted in the center and all the little houses around. So um, we went to bless these people in the village and share Jesus. And as we were there, uh, we, at the end of the service, we wanted to bless little kids with cookies so they would know that God loves them. And just something... Um, that was extravagant to them, but small to us. So the guy that was leading our trip was studying to be a, a pastor, and he was a Salvadorian man. So he was at the front, and he had them shut the doors to the back of the church so the little kids couldn't run round and round and keep getting packages of cookies. And as we were handing out the cookies, he was noticing that the boxes were getting empty, and there was this huge line of kids left. So he started praying, 
Lord, I don't want any of these kids to feel unloved by you. I don't want anyone to walk away from this place thinking that, they, that you don't even love them or care about them. So as he was praying and handing out the packages of cookies, God multiplied them. And it was so awesome to see. Um, we took three full boxes of cookies off of the school bus. And when we got back onto the school bus, we had three entire boxes full of cookies. So <laughs> praise the Lord. The microphone, Michelle. Now, you all laughed at me in the first sermon I shared that said, if you give cookies, you'll receive cookies. But now, who's laughing now? You know, it is interesting as we look and pray over these things, and obviously it's all in, in God's, you know, miracles always point to him. It's never about the Lord just simply blessing us with resources. It's about how can we point people to Jesus. But I just love what a practical example of, they wanted these kids to understand God is a generous God, and so they got cookies as a part of that. God truly does the area of multiplication. You first have to bless it, and then you have to give it away. God can multiply your resources as you give tithes and offerings. And the last point is this, God can multiply your resources into the blessing of thanksgiving. And this is my favorite point for the whole series. You know, it's been fun to be here this year as we've seen farmers uh, plant and harvest their fields. It's been fun to see that. The laws of sowing and reaping, they're fairly simple. What you sow is what you will reap. Very much like what you give is what you're going to receive. This came from the first message. So if you sow corn, what are you going to get? If you sow soybeans, what are you going to get? If you sow wheat, what are you going to get? Somebody asked if you sow donuts. I don't think that's going to work out. If you sow only a few seeds, you'll reap a small harvest. This is obvious. But if you sow generously, you will reap generously. I met with Jeff Nagel. He's one of our church members. He's a farmer. And I was talking with him about this principle. And here's what was interesting to find out. That increasing the rate of the amount of seeds, it's part of modern agriculture. So he shared that in the 70s, a local farmer, they might be able to plant 20 to 25,000 seeds, this is of corn, in an acre of field. But now thanks to modern technology, they've increased that to 30 to 35,000 seeds per acre. And here's what my favorite part is. Here's what's amazing. Every seed that gets planted, every corn kernel that gets planted, it turns into an ear of corn that produces five to 600 kernels. It's incredible. You give a seed into the ground, so you give it away, and it gets multiplied into an average of 550 other kernels. That's the principle of farming, and that's the principle that we see in giving. Farmers today who can generously sow, so in the 70s, if you think they were sowing 20,000 seeds per field, that would amount to 11 million new kernels of corn. Now, today's farmers, if they're planting 35,000 seeds, that's 19 million kernels of corn. What an increase. That's amazing. Farmers know that if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly, but if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. This is one of the kingdom principles. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes about this. Let me read that. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, giving is a matter of the heart. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he who has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And here's the best sentence. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So Paul is taking an offering for the church in Jerusalem. He's asking the church in Corinth to be a part of this. And what he says is the fruit of that offering will result in hearts of thanksgiving for the church in Jerusalem. We discovered last week the spirit behind tithing in the New Testament is one of giving generously, tithes, offerings, and extravagant offerings. And we see this in our passage in 2 Corinthians. In this passage, Paul relates that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And here's how this works. A person gives out of a heart of thanksgiving. We talked about that the first week. They commit to tithing. The curse is broken. They then have the ability to sow bountifully as a three-level giver. And it results in the hearts of thanksgiving of those who are benefactors of that giving. It comes full circle. Giving starts out of a heart of thanksgiving. This was the first message. And it results in a heart of thanksgiving through the compassion of Christ through the church. This past year, I want to relate to you how this has been lived out in this church. You've supplied food for more than 450 families through our food pantry. So your giving has resulted in almost 1,700 people receiving a heart of thanksgiving because of what they've been given. You've given 100 families backpacks and school supplies. They needed those for their children. You've given several car seats to families in need. Your missions giving has supported 40 cross-cultural workers in 20 different countries around the world. Next year, it'll be supporting 75 different ministries and cross-cultural workers in 30 different nations around the world. It's amazing. So your giving results in the heart of thanksgiving of all of those who receive. And yes, it's going to cover the light bills, it's going to cover staff salaries, but guess what that results in? People making decisions for Jesus, people being water baptized, filled in the Holy Spirit. So far this year, almost 100 people have made a decision to follow Jesus. It's incredible. Almost 100 people who spend eternity with God because you have been faithful in giving. May you never lose sight of what you're doing as you participate in the work of the church. So today, the count would be 35 people have been water baptized this year. So we've seen lives change. You saw it this morning very tangibly in person. So for every person on the other side of receiving these gifts, for every person on the other side of your giving, Scripture tells us it's resulted in them inheriting a heart of thanksgiving. I love that principle. Your giving does more than relieve the needs of others, although that's important, but it actually inspires thanksgiving to God. We give out of a heart of thanksgiving, and it results in hearts of thanksgiving. So from thanksgiving to thanksgiving, that's what we see your giving does. The blessing of generous giving is you giving a heart of thanksgiving to others. That's the gift of giving. What a blessing and what a joy. So my question would be, are you a cheerful giver, giving out of a heart of thanksgiving? I encourage you to sow generously so that you can reap generously. If you've not been a part of giving others a heart of thanksgiving, I encourage you to make a commitment to start today. So I want you to know as you have been giving, you are receiving this result in reward, that this is the hearts of thanksgiving. Thousands of people receiving a heart of thanksgiving on the other end of it. God can multiply your resources and blessings as you give obediently and sow your resources bountifully. In your programs this morning, there was a card for a 90-day giving challenge. I alluded to this last week, so I want you to pull that out. 
And what this card is, is it allows you to fulfill the scripture verses we talked about last week in Malachi. I want to reread that one verse. Malachi 3.10, it says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So the Lord actually challenges you. I never encourage people to test God, but this is one scripture where he says, test me. So it's my job to provide you an opportunity to test God in this. So what I want you to do with that 90-day challenge card is you can simply fill that out and say, you know what, I've not been obedient in giving, but I want to try it out, and we're creating the space for you to do it. I've talked with our bookkeeper and asked her to set up a separate account where if you sign up to be a part of giving in this way, then those funds will be held to the side. So three months from now would be the end of February. And so what you would do is take and give faithfully for three months and see what God does. Test him in this. See if he doesn't open the windows of heaven over your home. And if he doesn't, simply come back in and tell the bookkeeper, hey, that didn't work out for us. And she'll simply give those funds back to you to say, well, God bless you as you go. And the reason I do this is because I know this principle works. We've seen it in our home. And for anybody that's been faithful in tithing, they've seen it in theirs as well. So I know as you test God in this, God always answers. There's no question that he'll do it. But now here's what's important. You've got to make sure that you actually tithe. If you give 1% here, 2% there, the principle doesn't work. God's very specific as it relates to tithing. Offerings is a little bit more generic. But God says, if you honor me with the tithe, I will open the windows of heaven over your home. So my challenge to you is try it for three months and see if God doesn't answer. So this is for you as a new tither. This is not for offerings or extravagant offerings. This is simply for the tithe to say, you know what, I want to be obedient in tithing. I want to try this principle out and see if it doesn't hold true. Uh, Chuck Clark, one of our church members, after I shared the message last Sunday, um, I'm going to invite Chuck to go ahead and come. He shared with me a testimony of how he saw this a couple of years ago work out for his family. So I wanted him to just give testimony of that this morning. Thanks, Chuck. Good morning, Connection Point. Um, A couple of years ago, actually about a year and a half ago, we watched a video series from Pastor Robert Morris on tithing. And I've had this discussion on with God for many, many years about tithing, not about not giving it, but we always gave off of our net income. And typically when you have a discussion with God, you're probably not going to win the discussion. (laughs) Um, In that video series, Pastor Morris talked about giving from your gross income because that is your first fruit. That is the first gift that he has given you of, of the income. And so he challenged everybody to give from their gross. So I accepted the challenge and I decided to give from our gross. And at that time in our life, in our, my household, I mean, we were just starting a business, and it was a pivotal point in our life, and where, I mean, every dollar brought in was important, but we still gave, at the, before that, we still gave from our net, because that's in my head what I thought was right. And so after hearing that message, I went home and we talked, my wife and I talked about it, and I said, I believe we ought to start giving from our gross, because that's what I heard in the series, and I believe this is what God wants. So we decided to do that after following the next week, and we did. And we've done it continuously. And since then, God has supplied so much in our life where we have been able to start giving, doing the offerings and giving to other extra areas. And it's just amazing how much God, when you dedicate your life to give in one area that he instructs you, that God will supply you with more than you can handle. I mean, since we own this business, to give you a little bit more feedback, um, I had about a part-time employee at that time. Well, today, a year and a half later, I got uh, myself and four other employees that not only am I managing for myself, but their families as well. So my, my promise to you is if you give what God instructs, 
he will supply back to you. Hmm. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> the principle really does hold out to be true. And more than anything, I think there's just a freedom and understanding, Lord, we trust you in this. If you just would trust the Lord with all of the areas of your life, not just in this one area, it's amazing what God does in your soul and in the life of your family. So I just encourage you to be a part of that. So fill out that 90-day challenge card if you'd like to be a part of that. I encourage you to be a part of that 90-day challenge. And the last thing we're going to do, I'm going to invite the floor host to come forward this morning. We're going to collect our season of giving offering. And there's three ways to give. There's kind of three levels. The first is we've got the shampoo drive for the women's prison. You can be a part of that for $5. The Thanksgiving baskets for 50 And if you did all three, because we're going to do Thanksgiving baskets for people in our church, for people in our community that come visit the food pantry, and also the shampoo bottles, that's ways that you can give. So now that you've become familiar with our tithing envelopes, giving envelopes, two things I'll point out. So now you understand what the 90-day challenge portion is. So if you commit to that 90-day challenge, what I'd ask is you go week to week. If you simply fill in what the amount is in the 90-day challenge, that helps us to keep record of where you're at with that so we can put it into the right account. And the last thing would be for the season of giving offering, what column should it go in? Let me hear from you. Is it a tithe? No, where should it go? And the offerings. So you can write it right next to that compassion blank if you want, season of giving, or there's a blank below. You can write in season of giving. This is an offering. So we talk about tithes, offerings, and extravagant offerings. You have an opportunity to be a part of offering today as a New Testament gift. So let me pray over these gifts this morning. May the Lord bless you as you give. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us these principles in Scripture of what it means to follow after you with all of our hearts, that as New Testament believers we can uh, live blessed as we give generously. And more, that we, more than we receiving blessings back on ourselves, Lord, we are blessing others that they might inherit a heart of thanksgiving. And so, Lord, we thank you that that is the promise we have, that as we sow generously, Lord, that we will reap generously and others receive in a heart of thanksgiving. So, God, I do pray that you'd multiply these gifts this morning, multiply what happens in the area of thanksgiving baskets and in the area of shampoo bottles to bless our women um, who are in need of a testimony of who you are as a compassionate Christ. So God, bless the giver this morning. Bless the gift. May it multiply as it's given. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the bucket goes by, if you want to stand and sing this with us, that'd be great. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful. Your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name. Blessed be your name, when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. 
May he show you his mercy and fill you with his peace. Amen. May you go with God this morning.